Hi there, and thanks for joining us. This episode is coming from Parky Cueve, recorded on the morning of the most recent Cork Chamber Business Breakfast, because the special guest there was the CEO of Ireland's largest bank, and he's here to talk to us. I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Colin Hunt, CEO of AIB, you're very welcome to Red Business. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. Good to be here. Uh, you are a man who has a bit of Cork history. I know you're mm. Waterford-born, but you spent a considerable amount of time here in your younger days, did you? Yeah, I, um, I went to university here in UCC between 87 and 92. Uh, did a Bachelor of, Econom- a bachelor of Commerce degree, specialised in economics, and then did a Master's in Economic Science. Happy days? Very, very happy days. Very, very fond memories of the college and the city. Um, uh, enduring friendships lasting for decades afterwards. And I met my wife in college. So um, I, I, was, I uh, not only got an academic education, but I also managed to uh, get a, 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 a marital future out of the place as well. So it's a, it's a very, very... It's a place that's very close to my heart. Okay, and you'll never be allowed to forget it, given that you married into Cork. Um, no, no, she's from Waterford, but we <laughs> met in UCC. <laughs> just a very important <laughs> clarification. Uh, you, you mentioned in the speech you just gave uh, that many people still consider 66 South Mall to be AIB's spiritual home. Mm. I mean, there is a great link between Cork and AIB through the various iterations that, mm. that became the bank that's the country's biggest today. Yeah, so the, the largest single... Uh, bank within allied Irish banks, because that's what AIB means, is the Munster and Leinster Bank, which of course was headquartered on 66 South Mall uh, for so many years. And it was only in the late 1960s that the bank's headquarters was established in Dublin. Uh, so we have a very, very long and proud heritage here. Uh, if you look at uh, the role we play um, in terms of the, the, the banking life of the city and county, I don't think there's any other place in Ireland where our presence is stronger. Uh, or more widespread than it is here in Cork. Um, we've got 33 branches uh, right the way across um, the, the, the city and county, and that's a, a, a huge number in the context of, of, of a nationwide footprint of about 205 branches. One of the comments you made this morning that, that resonated with me was, was your comment that we are either at or past the peak of the Irish economic cycle. So soon after the last one, that might fill people with a little bit of fear. I mean, do do you genuinely believe right now is is at the top? Uh, Well, it's more a global economic cycle rather than an Irish economic cycle. And in fact, this has been an extraordinarily long cycle. Um, You know, there's nigh on seven, eight, nine years now of, of very, very strong economic expansion globally. But all the indicators are suggesting that this is getting a bit tired uh, it's getting quite old, and um, you're looking at interest rate expectations falling. Um, you're looking at leading indicators of, of manufacturing activity, in particular, right the way around the world, falling. And to some extent, that's driven by trade tensions because of the US and, and, and China and the US and the European Union. Uh, but there's also, I think, a little bit of um, concern uh, that this is a cycle which is coming to an end. Um, and I, I think if we're not at the top, we're very close to it, and we may well be beyond it. But we're not going to see anything like the sort of 
damage done to the economy that was done the last time round. We don't have anything like the sort of imbalances in the economy that we had uh, the last time round. I, I, I suspect we'd have a more moderate clip, um, but that will be driven by what's happening in the outside world, not least Brexit. You also referenced the amount of non-performing loans that you had. You had $31 billion, which is an eye-watering amount at the worst peak of the crisis, $31 billion. That's down to $4.7 billion, which is still very high by European standards. Could Brexit start pushing that in the wrong direction, despite everything that you've done? Well, we yes. And in a hard Brexit situation, you would expect that your credit losses will go up rather than down. Um, that number may well uh, move in the, in, 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 in the wrong direction, but we're determined to make, continue to make progress on it. Um, because we have to. We've got to get our balance sheet into the strongest possible position because it's only when we're in a position of strength that we can support our customers to the maximum extent. Um, you, you talked about talking to your customers. How ready are they to engage with the bank? Because the bank became the, the enemy for many uh, during the downtime. Um, that, that people didn't necessarily trust the bank to be acting in their best interests. Uh, we, we know that a lot of that non-performing loan book, uh, within that there were those who probably could be and just decided not to. I know that old chestnut is still floating around. But when, when you look at it now, how is the relationship between AIB customers and the bank post-crash? It's 10 years post the crisis. Um, there's no doubt about it that the crisis continues to cast a long shadow. Uh, there is obviously an acute uh, awareness both within the bank and within the country uh, that the bank required uh, the support uh, of the Irish taxpayer to the tune of £20.8 billion, uh, to make sure that it can continue to operate uh, at, at the trough of the, of the global financial crisis. Um, the scale of the damage inflicted uh, was so significant that it is an inevitability that it takes time for relationships to be fully repaired, um, or at least reputation to be fully repaired. Now, we've got very strong relationships with our customers. Um, I meet an awful lot of them. I spend a huge amount of time out uh, in the network meeting people and uh, meeting customers, meeting staff, and uh, I think that the relationships we have are, are, uh, are, are good and are strengthening. Uh, because you know there is a, a a symbiotic relationship between the bank and its customers. Uh, strong customers makes for a strong bank, and we can't have strong customers without a strong bank. So it's, it works both ways. But you, arguably, you're not there yet. The bank, not just yours, but all of them, PTSB, Bank of Ireland, yourselves, Ulster, all seen more as causing the crash rather than being part of the solution. And and in terms of that mindset, mm. is that ever going to fully recover? Um, I think it's going to take a lot of time. Um, we have called out three particular areas that we want to work on uh, to help that process, to help in the re- rehabilitation of our reputation. Uh, we want to have an ever more open and transparent culture. Uh, we want to have ever clearer lines of accountability. And we want to make uh, an ever-increasing a contribution to the sustainability of the communities that we live and 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 work in, um, but it is going to take time. The, the 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 crisis was of such a severe nature that uh, it will take time and hard work. But that hard work is now underway. You mentioned the billions that the taxpayer had to pour into your bank alone. Mm-hmm. 
to, to steady the ship. Could that happen again? I'm determined that it will never happen again. I will, I'm determined that uh, the liquidity position of the bank, the capital position of the bank, and its overall balance sheet is so, so strong that this will never arise. And of course, we've had regulatory change. We've had structural change in terms of uh, having a hold co and an operating company now. Uh, but the, the, the best guard against that ever happening again is that we make decisions that are appropriate, long-termist, sustainable, and profitable. And that is where our focus is. We have a very well-capitalised bank now, and I am determined to ensure that, that remains the case, regardless of the state of the economy that we're dealing with. Do you foresee a time in the not-so-distant future where it will be fully in private ownership again? That's a decision for the Minister for Finance. Uh, my job and the job of all my colleagues in the AIB Group is to ensure the bank is in the best shape to be brought to market if and when the Minister so decides. So there would be no reason why it couldn't be if the Minister decided? It's a matter for the government. Uh, we, I'm very much focused on running the bank, running it to the best of my ability, uh, keeping it focused on its customers, keeping it in a strong position. Uh, that's a decision for the Minister. Colin, one of the things that constantly comes up um, when we look back was the amount of money the people in jobs got paid. Your salary is constantly under scrutiny, yeah. as all the others are. Um, you took the job. Um, you probably, in a different era, would have gotten more money for it. Do you see, do you see the rationale for people keeping scrutiny on the CEO's salary as a benchmark as to how well the bank should be doing? Oh, absolutely. Of course I do. And I'm, I, you know, by any measure, I'm well paid. Um, my concern about the restrictions that are in place uh, is a far, far broader concern. Uh, my concern about the restrictions relates more to our inability uh, to pay variable pay to, to staff members. And we are competing for the same, in the same pool, for the same pool of talent with companies international companies that aren't uh, 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 restrained to the same way that we are. But certainly, you know, um, I can understand why, very much understand why the restrictions were introduced. Uh, I very much understand the focus that is on them. Um, I have to concede that uh, uh, the my primary area of concern in this area is how it impacts on my ability to retain staff, typically staff in their late 20s and early 30s because of the effective ban on variable pay. Okay, so in other words, it, it is more, it's as much of an issue further down the chain than it is at the top. Uh, I believe it probably is. A, uh, well, from, from, a, from a competitiveness viewpoint, from the point of view of being able to recruit and retain talent, I think it probably is a more pressing issue uh, down the chain. Certainly, I took the job in the full knowledge of what the deal was, um, and um, this has been the greatest uh, privilege of my professional life and the highest office to which I aspire to have this job, and I took it with my eyes wide open. You mentioned sustainability as well earlier on. Uh, the green economy is something that we are told is the future between mm -hmm. maybe car loans for electric cars to financing wind farms or financing new solar projects that might be out mm -hmm. there. It would be great in theory if a bank such as yours, the biggest in the country, got behind such projects. But you are open to the accusation that this is greenwashing. You're merely playing lip service to this and it's not something you're taking seriously. How seriously are you taking this? Well, <clears throat> I, I rejoined the bank in uh, August of 2016. And the first time I brought a, a strategic initiative to board was three years ago, actually. And the very first strategic initiative I brought 
uh, looking for support of our board was to establish a specialist centre uh, to deal with climate action, uh, to deal with, with, with green lending. And uh, that was in 2016, practically within three short months of me rejoining the bank. Uh, it's an area of acute concern for me. It's been a, an area of concern for the bank for a long time. We're, we're, we're about to publish our third uh, sustainability report. Uh, it is something that we've been working on internally for many years in terms of reducing our carbon footprint. And I can completely understand that uh, some companies might uh, uh, fall victim to accusations of greenwashing, but this is something that has been at the very top of our agenda for a very considerable considerable period well, of time. Put a number on that. What, what do you envisage giving out in terms of loans to this type of venture in the future? Well, we have a five billion uh, fund uh, which we've uh, allocated a billion a year for the next five years. I personally believe that that is probably uh, going to be comfortably exceeded. Um, but uh, we're putting out a de minimis target now that we will we, we'll hit a billion uh, of, of green lending every single year. And we'll do it in, in, in ways, like I suppose when people think about green lending, they think about energy and they think about electricity generation. But there's, there's a number of, of important features uh, or aspects to the green agenda. One, absolutely, having renewable energy, wind, solar, biomass, anaerobic digestion. There's also transport. Um, trying to encourage the shift uh, towards more uh, energy-efficient transportation. And the, one of the big wins, though, and something that doesn't get too much attention, is housing. Uh, and in particular, the retrofitting of housing, so as to reduce the energy consumption of households the length of the rest of the country. There's a huge saving in terms of money, there's a huge saving in terms of energy, and, and we want to uh, have a range of products that will support uh, such a welcome development. On housing, do you feel that the central bank's restrictions are having too much of an effect now and, and are chilling the market still? The, the idea that well-paid couples can't get a mortgage because they cannot get the deposit together. Is it time to revisit those? I can completely understand why the central bank uh, introduced uh, the macroprudential rules. They were introduced for very, very good reasons, which was that given the scale of the imbalance between demand and supply in the housing market, uh, like even after five or six years of recovery, we'll still produce about 22,000 units this year, whereas the demand for homes is of the order of about 35,000 homes every single year. So there's still a big imbalance there. And given the scale of that imbalance... Without us having these sort of macroprudential rules, there was a very severe risk we would have had runaway house price inflation. We know that that is damaging in the long term. This country knows better than many, many countries the damage that can be inflicted by runaway house price inflation. So they were introduced for the right reasons, and they've been extraordinarily effective. And we've seen an ongoing moderation in the pace of house price inflation to the point now where it's probably at zero. Uh, so I, I suppose the point that I've been making is these are rules that are not set in stone. Uh, they should be open to uh, review. They are open to review, and I, as, as I understand it, there's a review currently underway. And I think that it's important that, that uh, in reviewing the rules, the central, as I know it will be, the central bank needs to be cognizant of the prevailing economic and market conditions. In other words, they should loosen them in such a way that we have more housing stock. Uh, they should certainly review them in a way which... Uh, takes account of the fact that the dangers of runaway house price inflation are lower now than they were somewhat earlier. You, you mentioned 
the bank needing to be rehabilitated in the eyes of the public. One of the biggest damage-causing episodes was the tracker mortgage scandal, which you've said sorry for and, and all the other banks have said sorry for. Um, is that firmly over at this point? Well, the examination phase, uh, which was conducted by the central bank, is now complete, and we have made over 99% of the restitutions that were required as a result of that examination. So the examination phase is now over. To be fair, you weren't there. You joined the bank again in 2016. But as as CEO now, looking back on it, did AIB handle that, and all the banks handled that appallingly badly? I think there was a series of errors. I think that there was process failures. Um, uh, that were endemic right the way across the industry. And I think it was a reflection of the very, very difficult time that the country faced that these uh, decisions were made. Um, I, uh, the, the organisation has worked quickly and efficiently, I think, to address these issues, uh, to do it comprehensively, uh, and to make repayments to the affected customers as quickly as, as, as possible. Uh, my determination is to ensure this never happens again. Um, I'm very conscious of the fact that even 10 years post-crisis, I still have, in and around 20% of our headcount, dealing with what I, what I describe as legacy issues, so trackers and, and non-performing exposures. And I, I want to ensure that we move the bank onto a front foot Um, and that we look forward because that's the best way we can uh, support the economy and support all our customers. Uh, But certainly uh, I want to draw a line under the tracker issue and um, I believe that we are very, very close to that now. Um, Cork is in a good place, as, as you would have seen driving in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Keys have huge construction mm-hmm. going on. Um, the economy is quite buoyant, and there, there is still an optimism out there. Um, that, that's fed by the likes of the Ludgate um, mm-hmm. Centre, which you would have visited in Skipperine mm-hmm. yesterday, the AIB is sponsor on. There is an appetite out there that Ireland can do more, that Ireland will do more. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm hugely optimistic about the future of the country. Um, I look at our entrepreneurialism, I look at our confidence, I look at the fact that we are genuinely externally oriented. We look to the world for our living. And then I look at the fundamentals, which are, it all boils down to the quality of your people and your demographics. And our demographics are amongst the very best in Europe. Uh, So we have all the necessary ingredients for a prolonged period of societal and economic advance. And I'm really, really positive about the future potential uh, of this country. We're always going to have to deal with the vagaries of the cycle. We're going to always have to deal with bumpier periods and then more pleasant periods. But I think that the long-term trend is very firmly uh, upward in this country. And I am very, very uh, positive about the prospects, not only for ourselves, but for our children and our grandchildren. 
you are one of the lead sponsors in Cork 300 as well, this big celebration uh, of, of yachting, uh, for the want of a better expression, and wider maritime life here in Cork. Cork Chambers 200 this year. There's an awful lot of celebrations that AIB have to be part of this year. Well, of course, Cork's uh, kicked off all these celebrations back in 1985 with Cork 800. <laughs> you were the first ones to come to... Uh, to, to come to the realization that having a big party had 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 had, had a powerful resonance uh, on on a city's vibrancy, uh, of course, followed by Dublin uh, three years later, but who had to had to go to a poor imitation. Who had to go to hundred more than you with a thousand? <laughs> but uh, but Cork was first out of the blocks, and um, and uh, we're thrilled to be associated uh, with uh, the um, of course we hundred celebrations next year. It's an extraordinary. Uh, uh, achievement. Um, the RCYC holds a very, very special place in the global maritime community, and uh, Cork is very much a city in touch with its maritime history and its maritime present. And I think it's wonderful that uh, one of the biggest events of this nature globally will be held here. So it's wonderful and very fitting that that event will be held here. Uh, next year and we're thrilled to be associated with it. Yeah, absolutely, it's going to be fabulous. Uh, I've, I've spoken to the team about the plans they have. You won't be able to move in Cork without realising it, it, it's a full week-long festival uh, and everybody, even if they're not into the life at sea, will get something out of it. Uh, Colin, we wish you and the 800 people working with you in Cork across those 33 branches the very best of luck. Thank you so much for giving us your time here today and here's hoping if Cork are playing Waterford in here it'll be better for the home side next time out. Colin Hunt, CEO of AIP, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much indeed, Jonathan. My thanks to Colin Hunt for joining us on Red Business. Don't forget, you can download every episode of the podcast from redextra.ie. Neve Hennessy produced, and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork.